It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from Journal.com. And I'm Heather Artis from BlackPearlMinute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 46 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. Hey, do you remember the other day when we were talking about Will Turner stereotyping pirates, this whole thinking they all know each other kind of deal? Then I asked you what social media pirates use. Now, since I asked the question, I was obviously exempt from trying to come up with something on my own on the spot. And we won't want to revisit the thoughts you had off the top of your head for sure that day. Those were not good. I think I even had to invoke the, or walk the plank. <laughs> so let's just say we were both less than creative on that particular subject at that I've particular been, time. I've been very creative on this subject, by the way. No, no. You think you have, but you haven't. Adam Liebrick Johnson, you remember, he was our first pirate contributor of the week or correspondent of the week. He was also the one at the center of my word and name mispronunciation debacle that I had that time. So, Gibbet? Yeah. Did you have to bring it up? I mean, did you have to remind everybody? That's just retarded. No. Come on. <laughs> Anyways, he shoots and he scores on the whole pirate social media thing. He channeled his inner pirate and his pirate genius and said, obviously, the pirate social media place is Twitter. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that is better. <laughs> I got our chat. Our chat. Come on. That flows up. Twitter. Yeah, Yours doesn't even have, much- it's not even cohesive like that. You have to come up with something. You're missing the whole point of this. You have to come up with something that's already in that realm like his is. His is awesome. Good I know. Job. We can't even compete with that. Good job, Adam. I just have to say he nailed that one. And I don't yeah. even know if we can follow up on it. So I think we should just get going. And I have not been creative. <laughs> yeah, that's it. She thought she was until I gave you that one. And now she's like, yeah, that yeah. didn't even work. In the previous minute, Will Turner confirms that his father is indeed Bootstrap Bill Turner, a nickname that surely conveys one is as tough as leather. This confirmation sparks Jack to strike an accord with him under pain of death to take him to the Black Pearl and his bonnie lass. Using the typical tools of the trade to escape from jail, a file, a chisel, a hacksaw, no wait, a bone, (laughs) just a wooden bench, and the not-so-secure half-barrel hinges. Will and Jack manage to slip by the invisible guards and maneuver into position under a stone bridge. Will tells Jack that he is willing to die for Elizabeth, which is exactly what Captain Sparrow wanted to hear. Minute 46 begins with Captain Jack Sparrow saying, No worries, Zen, as he responds to Will Turner saying he will die for Elizabeth. We cut to Will and Jack hiding under a rowboat and with said camouflage slip into the ocean and their makeshift submarine. On the seafloor, they make their way from beach to HMS Dauntless undetected. The minute ends with Jack and Will climbing aboard the Dauntless and announcing to the crew, everyone stay calm, we're taking, as the minute ends in mid-sentence in a view of Gillette's back and some crew members. Actually, I said that wrong. Everyone stay calm, we're taking dot dot dot. Thank you. Was it a yellow submarine? Walk the plank. (laughs) Beatles? (laughs) 
That you have to go to Alphabetical, the <laughs> podcast by, I think it's Alex Robinson, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, so the Star, Star Wars, Wars Minute Guy. Yeah, so oh. we got to give a shout out to the Star Wars Minute. They're the ones who inspired the whole movies by minute genre. Wander on over to StarWarsMinute.com if you're interested in Star Wars. But obviously, we still have to be on your podcast platform of choice. So don't get rid of us. Just you can visit them as well. Listen to us first. Since we pretty much covered Jack's intentions and his interest in Will saying that he would die for Elizabeth in yesterday's episode, maybe we should just skip past his no worries comment and jump to the next scene. Are you good with that? I'm good with that. They jump to the next scene. Yeah, I mean, that's the one where we see some soldiers walk by and then legs pop out from under a rowboat and then they go into the water. A walking rowboat. (laughs) That's what it is. (laughs) Yeah, nobody told him you got to flip that thing around. Why why are we underwater with this thing? You think Jack as a captain would know this is the way you use a boat. But although he doesn't know how to use a boat, at least from the Jolly Mon, we saw him sailing in underwater. That's what he does. He's an underwater captain. Isn't that a submarine captain then? (laughs) Do I have to say it? Or do I just quietly place this stunt under my physics-defying category? I mean, just kidding, of course we're going to talk about it, but actually, it's not all that bad. There are some positives that I really like about it. I love the picture with the light coming through and the fish. It was awesome the way they did it, to just show that underwater scene. Yeah, because we really get a great cinematic shot of Jack and Will walking underwater. There's this incredible blue color, there's light shining, fish are swimming... And before all that, we get an incredible upwards look at the dock and the harbor. So we have all those kind of same elements I just mentioned, but now we have the addition of the boards and the spaces between them. It really kind of creates a cool cinematic art piece. Yes, it's really neat. Yeah, it reminds me of the scene when Elizabeth is in the water after plunging from the fort. And it's it really is a spectacular scene. I think that right there is the scene of the minute. It's the shot of the minute. Maybe of this if, minute? Yeah. Yeah. And right. that's something that sticks in your mind. I just keep seeing it. When you close your eyes? When I close my eyes, that's all I see. <laughs> I'm like, why am I underwater drowning? I'm having actually nightmares about it now (laughs) that's because i taped the picture actually on your eyelids (laughs) (laughs) and she put a pillow over my face to simulate me drowning no wonder i'm having bad dreams wake up i got things taped to my head a pillow over my face (laughs) it's like i can't breathe no wonder this is what grog does to you when you drink so much grog that you start acting out these scenes while i'm sleeping it's just not good I actually, I put you in the tub. I send you to the deep. So you have that. (laughs) This is a freaking PG show. What are you doing? No, I throw you in the tub so you have that feeling. (laughs) So I'm sleeping, you just roll me into the tub? (laughs) Yeah. And then you have the the picture on the eyelids. Jeez. Okay. (laughs) This has definitely gone down the jump the shark thing now. (laughs) Now I know what your fantasies are. I'm really dreaming I could drown Scott today. I didn't say I put you underwater. You're going to put me in the tub while I'm sleeping. I mean, that's dangerous stuff there. (laughs) As we get away from that crazy dream sequence of Heather killing me, which is not good. I mean, this, on the other hand, is actually a nice kind of comedic moment. And there are some interesting things that are actually happening. Yeah. I mean, for instance, there's the cameo by the Jolly Mon that we were just talking about, too. It's still on the bottom of the harbor, taking precious dock space. I mean, I guess they've had other things. So, I mean, it hasn't really been that long since Jags arrived in town for them to move it. And then they had the whole Black Pearl thing. So I guess that wasn't really at the top of their mind as to, hey, maybe we should move the Jolly Mont. 
What about the Black Pearl shooting cannons at our town? Well, the Jolly Mon's probably not the only boat that's on the bottom of the ocean at this point in time. No, because you can actually see some other... I, I didn't see anything that was sunk, but I did see some half boats that were sitting there floating as part of the debris of the water after this, when they're walking by in the harbor there. Oh, okay. So when they clear that out, they'll probably just clear out the Jolly Mon. Probably. Probably just think it sank because of the war. <laughs> It's probably, he should get his shillings back. And then he already has the other shillings, so he could really make a good profit on yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Then we also have the kid that's fishing right there, too. So yeah. everybody else he's, is... He's watching the barrel float by. Well, that the too, little boy. Yeah. The goat. Did you see the goat in the boat? The goat in the by... boat? <laughs> what is this, Dr. Seuss? <laughs> the goat in the boat on the water? Oh. I I was just saying that the kid actually has a good spot because it it makes sense to actually fish right there off the dock because now with the Jolly Mon sunk right there, it's like an artificial reef thing going on. So fish will be hiding in it and then Mm -hmm. pretty soon it'll be a really good fishing spot. Yeah. But yes, I did see the goat. You see he's all by himself on that little tiny boat? Yeah, he's standing in the boat or he's standing in the boat and it's floating there and I think it looked like he might be tied to it. And so I did check on this. I checked my source for... Pirates of the Caribbean animals. Does goat have a name? Goat doesn't have a name. Man, what Uh, the heck? A trainer did place the goat in the boat, obviously, and tied the end of its rope to the boat so he couldn't jump off. And then the boat was tied to a pier and the trainer stood just off camera to remove the goat immediately when the scene was over. They didn't want the goat floating around out there potentially and falling off and getting hurt. No animals were harmed in the making of this movie. Thanks or podcast. To the, thanks to the trainer. <laughs> just Scott was harmed in the making of this podcast. <laughs> didn't harm you then we have will who's walking as they're walking (laughs) underwater with this yeah and he steps in that lobster trap and gets that lobster trap stuck to his foot that's what's carrying a lobster trap Uh, that's Uh, what i believe it is i think it's a lobster trap okay that's based on some information i found out there in the world when i when i looked because i thought it was maybe a crab trap at first too but there was a source that cited it as a lobster trap whether it's true or not i don't know i just rolled with it because somebody did confirm that it was a lobster trap sounds good to me i was looking up lobster traps in because i found that as a source and i thought it'd be interesting just to see about lobsters in the caribbean or just in general lobster say trapping or fishing or whatever you want to call it for the 18th century so I did find some actually interesting information. So everybody, here it comes. Yes, the history's part again. At first, lobsters were gathered by hand along the shoreline. And so what I found is that in the late 1700s, special boats known as smacks, which featured tanks with holes that allowed seawater to circulate, were introduced in Maine for the transport of live lobsters. The workers who operated these shellfish-friendly vessels were known as smackmen. It wasn't until the mid-19th century that lobster trapping also which was first practiced in Maine, became a more popular way to collect the sea creatures. I was having trouble without really getting into a bunch of books to look at how indigenous people were getting lobsters and things like that. Yeah. But it looks like they were doing a lot of collecting by hand as lobsters would get near the shore or would wash up on shore that they were doing that. And apparently at the time, there were a lot of lobsters that would actually get washed ashore and they would just be able to pick them up. Oh, really? Yeah, it was pretty crazy from some of the stuff that I read. And then, like I just said, in the mid-19th century, that's actually when trapping became more popular. And that's also when it really talked about like commercial traps being invented. So I don't know how far back lobster trapping actually goes. I wasn't really able to find that. 
And then I did find a source that was talking about lobsters in the 1600s and how they would be so abundant and wash up on shore and beaches that Native Americans used them as fertilizers for their crops. They were just easy to collect. Considered to be a poor man's food, lobster was often fed to prisoners and indentured servants by European colonists. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, huh? Yeah. It's like Now you're paying 20 bucks for a lobster tail. Or more. And so they were being punished and it's like, here, here's the poor man's food. You're going to have to eat lobster. What? Lobster again? <laughs> Dang it! Huh. What are the, how are they treating us in this prison? It's just ridiculous. I want to go to that prison. <laughs> you heard it here first. She wants to go to prison. That one. Are you prison I Mike just want from the, the office? Yeah. <laughs> I just want the food. <laughs> You're just like the office. Everybody in the office, if you haven't seen it, everybody is, is thinking how nice prison would be because they have televisions and things like that. It was pretty funny. In the same source, they indicated that a group of servants once brought their master to court with the accusation that he was serving them lobster too frequently. The judge who oversaw the case ruled that these servants should not have to endure lobster dinners more than three times a week. (laughs) Please let me know if any of you out there are eating lobster too frequently. Yeah. That is insane, though. Maybe they didn't have butter on it, or they were not cracking it out of its shell, or they just <laughs> giving them live lobsters to wrestle with. It's the stigma of it. Like, oh, this is the poor man's food. Well, why are they giving us lobster so much? It's so crazy, though, yeah. that now how things have completely turned over, yeah. and now lobster is this commodity, and prisoners would really like to have lobster three times <laughs> yeah. a week in prison. People would like to have lobster three times a week. Exactly. Just anybody. So that's all I have on lobster talk today. I didn't (laughs) want to get too far into it, but it was actually really interesting just to see some of this stuff and to see some of the cases of how people were bringing their masters to court and prison guards to court or complaining about having lobster all the time. And I thought it was pretty cool. It's amazing how abundant they were. Yeah, that really actually, I mean, we're not environmental or conservation podcast here, but it actually is interesting to see how things have changed. Yeah. Once we started commercially harvesting them, how that did change to a point where you're not getting a bunch of lobsters just coming up on shore, washing ashore that you could actually just pick them up. And they were so plentiful and you didn't want to eat them that you were using them for fertilizers, for bait. It really is an interesting sign of the times. Yeah. be kind of interesting to go back and see what was the dynamics there and what was going on with that. Yeah. Also talking about this underwater scene, we're still on that. This whole using the rowboat as a makeshift submarine with an air pocket actually is a reference to the Crimson Pirate, which is where this stunt actually appeared first in a movie. Oh, really? It was a 1952 tongue-in-cheek comedy adventure film starring Burt Lancaster. And apparently, I haven't seen this particular movie. It's seen it on the list of good pirate movies and things to watch, but I've never actually seen it myself. Apparently, it does have this rowboat scene. So this is a nod to that kind of precursor to what we have here for Pirates of the Caribbean. We get back to this whole physics-defying part of the scene was actually featured on Mythbusters. So Jamie Heineman... And Adam Savage tried to recreate this scene and quickly sunk the pirate cinematic submarine strategy with a busted on this myth. So first they flipped over a rowboat on top of the water. Jamie and Adam easily floated along and breathed in the airspace between the sea surface and the boat. So they basically just capsized it on top of the water because they couldn't get it to sink. Right. However, the movie pirates swam with the boat completely underwater. So to do this in real life, Jamie and Adam demonstrated that you'd have to overcome the rowboat's upward buoyancy. And that's the force that keeps it afloat. So in order to drag it down to the depths, basically. Right. 
but according to Mythbusters calculations, it would take roughly 2,000 pounds of force to hold the buoyant boat down, making this feat pretty much impossible for mere mortals to pull off. So unless we can assume that Captain Sparrow and his gang have superhuman strength, the pirate submarine myth is blatantly busted, as they said. But we do know that Captain Jack Sparrow is Captain Jack Sparrow, and he can do all kinds of things, puts his mind to it, he can do whatever he wants. Exactly. For you to even try to walk on the bottom of the ocean is difficult, to even stay down. Yeah. Because you just automatically float, and then to hold that boat that was full of air under there, yeah. But anyway, we're not- What are you, in the rhyming mood today? Yeah. (laughs) Full of air under there. Goats and boats, you are Dr. Seuss today. Yes, I am. Thank you. You might be Dr. Seuss here, but definitely you don't have superhuman strength, that's for sure. Oh, I do. (laughs) No. Oh, I do. And since we were giving praise to the cinematography art here, the actual cinematographer, Darius Wolski, well, he's listed as the director of photography on the first four Pirates of the Caribbean films, so he actually did the whole series. It's up to date. Not the upcoming release. I didn't see his name listed on that. Other movies of note for us here include other work with Johnny Depp, such as Alice in Wonderland and Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. But he has a long kind That of just reminds of... me of The Office. Oh, another <laughs> Office reference. Yeah. With, with Andy. The Sweeney Todd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Office is in full force today for sure. Yeah. Then we get to the HMS Dauntless. So we kind of do this underwater scene. And then the next shot is them climbing aboard the Dauntless. I want. I wanted to mention one thing about underwater scene. The music was just pretty... It was pretty awesome during that, yeah, that actually, underwater scene. I completely sp- forgot in my notes to look it up. I had a mate I made a note to actually look up this particular piece of music and yeah. I completely dropped the ball again and it forgot was just to a, do that. A neat music for that scene. Yeah, I think it might be something that they use in multiple places, but I'd have to to give it a listen again. Yeah. Man, yeah, that would be something for us to talk about is the music. We haven't done too much of talking about the music and I have some notes on that. So You just talk I think the, the only time some of the sound effects and things that we were doing. It's just in the beginning. But yeah, it'll be good to revisit some of the music because we really haven't done that. And there is some really great pieces in this movie. Yeah. Now you can move on to the Dauntless. It's about time. We end up with them climbing aboard the HMS Dauntless. But we're actually cut to where they're already fairly high up on the ship. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how did they get up there? And you can see that they use the lobster trap, the rope, and the barrel, I think, to climb aboard the stern. So it looks like they had to climb up a bit on the rudder. Then they tied the rope with the lobster trap to maybe stand on it. And I guess that they used the barrel with the rope and maybe swung it to catch onto the rail. It's like a makeshift grappling hook kind of deal. And then they climbed up the rope to get onto the rest of the ship and then to climb aboard. That's what, I, that's what I'm piecing together with that. Because it would be very difficult to climb aboard that from the stern like that. Well, yeah, because it just kept jutting out. Exactly. Yeah. There's no way you to couldn't really do, do that. it because you couldn't get those jut out things. So they would have to use. Not unless you're like Spider Man or something. Spider Man. No Spider Man songs. <laughs> and so they'd have to use the rope and all that kind of stuff to get up there. But did you see the humongous lanterns that were out there? Yeah, they're pretty cool. When you compare them to the size of the people, they're just huge. Oh, they get really yeah, they're really large size. Did you yeah. do any looking up on it? Did you bring us any facts about it? My no. eyeballs. Now everybody's going to wonder you? how big are they? No, that was I can't do everything, but you needed something that was fairly large to be able to see it at distances like that. Yeah. 
So you needed to have something that couldn't just be, you know, a regular candle out there. You had to have something that was fairly large for them to be able to see or for other boats to be able to see you. They were what just, I should say. The detail put in the back of this boat or the stern, as you say, because we need to talk in yeah, um, nautical terms. Nautical Captain terms. Jack will correct you if you don't. So <laughs> the detail put into the stern of this boat is just crazy amazing. That's the thing I don't know with this particular one. Are they... Is this another boat that they're using for this particular scene? Or is this the barge that they had created a facade of the Dauntless on it? Yeah, so I think it was a floating set that was built on this barge. And so I don't know if this particular part was the barge or if it was part of the where this was actually done. If it was on a real boat that they just created to make it look like the Dauntless or if it was on the barge. So I don't really know that particular fact. Then there's also some other nice detail, too, when they get aboard the ship. And so we see Jack and Will then pop up, and they're on the deck there. And we get a nice look at fire buckets again this time. And they were in the background in some of our very early minutes, maybe the first few minutes. Right. This time you can clearly see the royal cipher. In our case, it's a GR that's surmounted by a crown. So a royal cipher is a monogram-like device of a country's reigning sovereign. And typically, it was consisting of initials of the monarch's name and title, sometimes interwoven and often, like I said, surmounted by a crown itself, which matches what we see in this particular instance on the fire bucket. Because the king at the time of the Pirates of the Caribbean film is taking place, it's King George II. So we have his cipher that's appearing on the fire buckets. And King George II actually reigned from 1727 to 1760. We did talk about, and I know we were just talking about the HMS Dauntless as a set on a barge at least for the first movie the curse of the black pearl the hms dauntless was inspired and we talked about this before which was inspired by the hms victory which was the royal navy ship of the line which still exists to this day the victory was a famous 100 gun ship and won countless battles during its heyday and it was also considered the pride of the british fleet why i bring it up again is that while doing a bit of research on the fire buckets in this gr cipher I came across an actual HMS Victory fire bucket from 1805 at a Christie's auction from December 2015. Oh, really? Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so they actually had an original part of this whole auction that was just on antique arms and armory. In this particular bucket, it was actually riveted hardened leather with copper band to the top and two iron rings. It had a painted HMS Victory on it with a GR cipher, and the date was 1805. It was approximately 10 and 3 quarters inches tall. But the cipher on this particular one was of George III because this was 1805. And so George III came after George II, which makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for explaining that to all of us. Yeah, and the final selling price was $10,258 for this bucket. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. They expected it to sell for 4500 7500 bucks at the time. Huh. Wow. So it went for over that. That's awesome. This was a bit more of a history podcast, if you will, it turns out, because we didn't really have that much going on as far as character development or character interaction. It was really just they're under the sea, and then there's some lead up as they're getting ready to keep everybody calm as they... You know, dot, dot, dot. Well, we do get some stuff underwater when Jack and Will are talking. And they said that, you know, this plan is either madness or brilliance, Mm -hmm. which I think kind of defines what Jack is in general. He's kind of does a little bit of everything. Because you can see that all of his plans so far have been a combination of madness and brilliance. And then Jack actually comments back to Will that it's crazy how often these two really go together, these two terms. Yeah. So we saw that in the beginning, too, when... 
he's escaping from Norrington and the whole guards there. He actually goes up on the hoist and swings around, which one would say that is either madness or brilliance yeah. as well. So I think when a lot of his stuff... he's swinging in circles. Yeah, so I think a lot of his stuff is centered around madness and brilliance. And usually you have madness first because that's what the crazy part is. You never know if it's going to be brilliant until you see how it ends. <laughs> it's never madness and brilliance. It's madness and brilliance when it's all done. Right. It's madness when you're just starting. Yeah. So if it works out, then it's, boy, that was brilliant. It was a little mad, but it was brilliant. But in the beginning, it's just madness. This is madness. Jack says it's remarkable how often those two traits coincide. So he sees it. I mean, it's his life, basically. That's the way he works. <laughs> In between madness and brilliance. That's right. I think that's exactly what it is. That And that shows his character, though. That's what he does, though. He, he takes those risks and he makes it... that His life is an adventure. Oh, yeah. His life is the adventure. His life is the swashbuckling adventure if you will yeah and we see that playing out with what we've seen so far i don't know if we've actually seen any other crazy stuff yet from him besides just the sword fight but that's not really doesn't really characterize any of that right so i think really his other big escape was the hoist and running away from the guards in some crazy fashion yeah so we'll see where this leads in the next minute i guess huh yep tomorrow yep there we go we'll be back tomorrow with minute 47 of the curse of the black pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horn swoggling and the history to a minimum. And Scott away from the grog. I'll have as much grog as I want. <laughs> Actually, Heather says that she's going to keep me away from the grog and I should stay away from the grog. But when I get to the grog, there's none left because she's already drank it. for joining us on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Have something to say? Then give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. If you like the show, then do us a favor and leave a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, matey. You can also contact us at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. We just might feature your questions and comments on future episodes. Visit us online at blackpearlminute.com. You can also find us on facebook.com slash pirates of the Caribbean minute, twitter.com slash blackpearlmen, and on soundcloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, where we post additional content, have post-episode discussions, and share our favorite show clips. Now see you next time, scallywags.